that song that Joe just led us in, So Will I. I hope that you'll, you'll download it. And it's a song that I want our church to learn. And I love the message of it because it is describing this idea that creation obeys the Lord. And I will too. It describes this picture of Christ coming, submitting to the will of the Father. And God in the flesh went to the cross and obeyed every voice of God. And because of that, I, I will too. And I pray that we as a congregation, as a church, are quick to obey the voice of the Lord. And we know, like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, that if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the winds blew, and it beat against that house, but it didn't fall. And, and yet we know, Jesus said, if you, if you hear these words of mine and don't put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the winds blew, and it beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And, and there's power in obedience, and as believers, as followers of Christ, we've got we've to grow up spiritually. And then that's where Philippians is so big for us. Philippians 2 is where we are today. Uh, I want to show you a picture, though, of Coach V. Um, Coach V is, uh, was uh, uh, an incredible friend of mine. Uh, his, his birthday was Friday, and uh, Coach V was the first baseball coach that I hired when we started the Ambassadors in 2008. And, and, and he and I served the Lord together, and, and there were so many moments that I would hit him on the shoulder and go, can you believe we saw God just do that? And he would go, man, I cannot believe it. And, uh, and, and you know, I miss him greatly. Uh, I, I, about a year and a half ago, I, I preached his funeral, and he would have been 45 on Friday and uh, a dear, dear friend of mine and partner in ministry. And, and uh, he was killed uh, in, uh, about a year and a half ago on, on an August Friday night in a rainstorm. He was, uh, he'd stopped to help somebody on the side of the road, that, and he pulled the family out of a car. And as he was walking back, and he, as, after he rescued this family, being an ambassador, rescued this family, another car had a wreck and hit him killed him instantly. He was one of, if you saw the news a year and a half ago, there was a, two Samaritans, good Samaritans that were killed. Coach V was one of them. And, and I love Coach V, and, and, and I, there's so many things I loved about him. Um, you know, um, he, he was the best at this. There's another picture I want to show you. He, he was phenomenal as a baseball coach. He was an incredible baseball coach, and he, there was nobody better that would come together with our baseball team and give them that pregame pep talk. I don't know if you ever played sports and had that pregame pep talk, and, and, but he was, he was one of those coaches that, that, could, chew, that could chew you out, and, and as he's chewing you out, it's motivating you to, to go play harder and, and, and work harder and, and, and play better, and, and he just had the, the, the gift of the, of the chew out, okay? And, um, and I'll never forget, um, it, was a, it was 2011, and our, our ambassadors had just played a game on a, on a, uh, on a weeknight, and, uh, and we were m leaving the next day for Omaha to go play at a, at a, at a wood bat tournament in Omaha. And, uh, and our guys came out into the baseball game, and they gave up some runs early, and it just kind of took the wind out of them, and they just kind of rolled over and gave up. And, uh, and, and Coach V was so mad at them. 
after the game, they had gotten beat, and, and he goes, out, out in center field, get out there. And, and they go out there, and they just lost. They kind of gave given up. And Coach V grabs these guys. He goes, come here, all of you, just real close. And he gets right in their grill, and he goes, he goes let me tell you something. You just rolled over. And, and, and you put that ambassador uniform on, and you don't do that as an ambassador. He goes, you don't ever roll over. He goes, you, you disgraced that uniform tonight. And then, and then he said, you know what else you did? You disgraced your family. And I mean, he's going big right here, man. I mean, these guys were like, okay. He goes, you, you don't ever roll over. And he goes, and, and you know what's worse than that? We represent Jesus, and you disgraced the Lord. And I mean, he's just, just ripping them. I mean, these guys are, are feeling pretty bad. And he goes, and he goes, I'm so mad at you. Kind of did a little, like, spun around a little bit. And um, he turns around and he goes, we're going to Omaha tomorrow. He goes, you look at me. You look at me right now. He goes, when you go to Omaha, you better not lose one game. Now get out of here and you, and you better be at the church early tomorrow because we're leaving. But look at me, not one game. These guys are like, yes, sir, and they leave. And I'm going, now, Coach V, I, I mean, afterwards, I, he was still mad. And I go, that was a good one, man. That was really good. I go, but, but going to Omaha and not losing a game, dude, I, that may have been a little much, bro. And, uh, and he, he, just, he just left, and, and uh, it was so funny. In my office, in my office, I have a blanket that – a lady had made for me. And one of the sections of that blanket is a t-shirt of the Woodbat, Brett Brothers Woodbat Tournament in Omaha. And it shows a bracket. The ambassadors went to Omaha, did not lose one game, beat the Dallas Patriots in the finals, and they did it. You know, it was, it was really crazy. It was an amazing, because it's hard to go into a baseball tournament and not lose a game. But, but there's power, there, there's influence in, in a good coach speech, right? Well, well you know what? That's how I see the book of Philippians. Philippians is this incredible moment of, of, of Paul writing to this church and, and it, it rivals this speech that Coach V gave. It's, it's even better, actually. Because Paul is writing to this church, and, and you've got to understand where he's coming from. I mean, for the last five years in Paul's life, four or five years, it's been a bummer for him. He, he has been, uh, he's been put on trial, and it was an illegal trial, and he's been thrown in jail. Uh, they put him on a ship to go to, go to Rome, and, and the ship wrecked. And so he's stuck out in the ocean overnight. Bummer. I mean, he, they, he goes to this island. He gets bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake. Um, he um, then gets chained to these guards. And for the last couple of years, as he writes this letter, he is chained to a guard 24-7. And, and these, ro- these guards rotate every four hours. So, so this is not a good time for him. This is not a a good season for him. But yet, when you look at the book of Philippians, over and over again, you hear the word, I rejoice. And look, these these times are difficult, but but look, we're furthering the gospel. And, And I've been looking at this going, man, how can Paul write this kind of letter to a church? 
And it's very important to, to catch this. The key to Paul's life is this spiritual growth perspective. I mean, Paul had grown spiritually. And what Paul was doing was saying to a church, look, you've got to grow up. You know, sometimes we come to church and we're looking for that quiver in my liver kind of thing. Or that, oh, I want to just have a feel good. And, 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 you know, I've been to camps and I've been to have those spiritual highs. And, and I've learned in my life, it's not necessarily how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you land, right? And, and God is moving us to grow up spiritually, and I learned, I've learned through my life to, to understand the, the purposes of God. The, and I don't understand all the purposes. I don't understand why Coach V died when he was 44. I don't understand the purposes of life and death in every circumstance. But what I've learned is that God is faithful. And, and in, in spite of our circumstances, God moves us to trust in him. And when I look at Paul... He had learned to trust the Lord through all the circumstances. Paul had, had, had learned to, to obey Christ every day, and his obedience to the Lord shaped him. And, and this is why it is important for us to grow spiritually and to grow up. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 2, and, and we're, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 today. And, and we're, we're going to continue to track through this book, and it's such a phenomenal pep talk in many ways. It's Paul getting in the face of the church going, come on, let's go. We got work to do. And I pray we see it and feel it and live it. Would you stand with me? Let's read Philippians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 today. Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, now, now this morning, I hope that we, we can catch what God is saying to us and we can apply it and live it in our families, in our, in our, in our, in our work, and in our church. You know, this is a letter written to the church of, of Philippi. And, 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 you know, Paul is... is is discussing and and articulating this contentment in life. And it's so important to understand the context of the passage because it's amazing that Paul is writing such, giving such wisdom about contentment and, and the faithfulness of God because some people could look at him and go, man, God's not being faithful to you. Man, you're in prison. But he, he had this spiritual growth perspective in his life. Look back at verse one. He says, to the church. So if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Now, we, I want to take you back. We, we, we took a break on Easter and, took a, and, and looked at the Easter journey for the last four weeks. But, but five weeks ago, we, were, we finished chapter 1 in Philippians. And Paul had finished in chapter 1, and he talked about the suffering that he was experiencing, that, that it was difficult. But he's like, look, um, I, I want you to learn something about God. Learn about the faithfulness of God. And what does he say here in the first two verses? Point number one is this. He's challenging the church to live in harmony with people in your life. And then this is this challenge that that Paul is saying, look, you've got to live in harmony together. You're together in this struggle. You've got to be together in this life. And and this this is very important for a church because we're not a business. We're a family. We're called to be in life together. This isn't a show that you come to like going to the movies every week. No, we're in relationship. We need to know one another. We need to let each other in our lives. And and there's a trend in church life. Let me just slip in and not be known. And that's not church. That's not what God intends for church to be. Because life is hard. And, and we're in a battle in life, and, 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 and relationships are hard. The, the, the longer we know one another, the, the more conflict we have with one another, right? The, the more opportunities we have to forgive one another and, 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 and overlook one another's faults and help one another in our weaknesses. That's what church is. And Paul's writing to a church saying, look, we, we've got to know one another. And he says, live in harmony with one another. And it's interesting because all through Scripture, you see unity among believers being a very important calling. Now, let's think about this. Uh, why, why is unity so important? Well, unity in our church earns the respect of outsiders. And, and this is something that, that all through Scripture we see this, that a lost world is looking at us and saying, how can you love one another in spite of your differences? in spite of, of, of having to come together and work through different issues. But, but when we are unified as a church, a lost world looks at us and, it, and, they, and they realize, wow, there must be something to the power of Christ in our lives. Now, Jesus um, has, has told us, I mean, verse 1, uh, you know, all through Scripture, you see that the unity with others means a great deal to God. And this is why, as a church, we should work to be unified. Verse 1 is saying this, as you look at, look at it, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Verse 1 saying this, if being a Christian means anything to you, if your salvation means something to you, if, if the forgiveness that, that you have received has impacted you, um, if the love that God has given to us means anything to us, that, that we, we are moved to come to unity with those in our lives. We're, we're moved to reconcile to one another, with one another, and live, live in a right relationship with one another. And Jesus, Jesus taught us this. I mean, John 17 is one of my, my favorite passages of Scripture. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. 
And, and it's, a, it's an amazing prayer because in the prayer, Jesus prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. And he says in verse 20, 20 my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that they may be one, that, that we would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in us, excuse me, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world would believe that you sent me. And see, the unity of believers is so powerful because Jesus said that as we forgive one another, as we live with one another, as we love one another, that that the world looks at us and goes, you know, Jesus is from God. And this is why settling our accounts with one another quickly is important. That's why as a Christian, we are compelled to, to completely forgive one another, even when we're wronged. Some of you have been wronged in your life. And, and you know, God moves us to offer forgiveness even when it's not deserved. Because think about it. None of us deserve forgiveness. And, and this is why we're compelled to, to forgive one another. And it makes me wonder if, if God's heart is deeply broken when, when he sees us at odds with one another in our families, in our, in our church. And this is why I pray that we, we recognize the call to unity, the call to forgiveness. And, and you know, one of the words that I, I like to use on our staff is, is synergy. Uh, and and we, we look at this and we, we, we work on this. We had a staff training on, on, on Tuesday or Thursday. And um, it was a two-hour training for our staff of just coming together and, and, and working together as a team and learning to communicate well and forgive one another and, 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 and work together well. Because when you have synergy on a staff, then, then, then what is synergy? It's this idea that, that, that together, if we go the same direction together, we'll be more effective than if we're by ourselves. And this is true from, from our staff, in your business, in your family. I mean, I mean that, that synergy is, 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 is important. And, and I love Coach V's um, heart because he's like, I got to get this team going in the same direction. And, and, and those pep talks are, are powerful. And, and, you know, when you think about what Paul does, he, he kind of gives us some some insight into how do we do this. Look at, look at verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. He gives us three aspects here. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord in one, in one mind. So, so what is he saying here? Is, is, it's this idea of being, uh, having a unity in mind. We have a unity of mind. And this is what I, I pray we are as a church, that we're like-minded, now, now how, this is why it is very important for us to, to study the Bible so intentionally. And if you noticed, um, we, we naturally tend to, to let the Scripture speak when we come together in worship, in our Bible studies that we have, in, our, uh, in, in all the aspects of our church. We are coming to the Word of God. We see this as, a value, a, a val, uh, as very, very valuable. I'm not going to get up and preach. 
I hope that I never get up and preach. And you're like, did we use the Bible today? I hope that it's obvious that we've studied the scriptures every time I preach because I don't want you to know my advice. My advice runs out real quick for you. I need God's word. And so that's why I'll say often, I mean, and this is true, I believe this, that all of us, we need God's word. So I need this today. I mean, I was walking from my truck to my office today going, man, Lord, um, sometimes I'm so self-centered. Forgive me. I got to preach about this today. Forgive me for this. Because, you know, it's funny because Satan will hit you where you're trying to serve, right? He, he knows how to attack me. And, and, and I can't, I can't, I woke up several times in the night last night with self-centered thoughts. I was like, Lord, I give those to you. Forgive me of that. And, and, and we need God's word in our lives. He says, be, be unity of mind. And so this is why we need to be like-minded, have the, have the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. And that's found in his word because God has spoken through his word. And we need it. He says, unity in mind, unity in love, love for God and love for one another. This is why the purpose statement of our church says that we're to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. That, that we're to love God. We're to, we're to love one another. And this is a call. The, the Bible calls that koinonia. It's a Greek word that says we have fellowship together. We, we, have, we, we have a love for one another. And I love that about our church. And this is why I think God is blessing our church. Because we're, we're growing in this love for one another. I mean, last night was so fun. Um, our deacons did a, did a widow-widower banquet and it was funny, and, and, and I got to wear, it was a cowboy theme, and, and, uh, and so I, ha- I got an ugly sweater. It was an OSU sweater that I was given as Christmas, and I was like, this is perfect uh, to wear to the cowboy theme. I'm just, I love all you OSU people. God's called me to pastor a church full of OSU people just to show you need to love people, you know? <laughs> and, um, but, yeah, thanks. Um, but there's, there's unity and love, and I love it how our church supports one another, loves one another. He says unity and love. He, he talks about unity and purpose. You must be one in spirit and in purpose. And, and, and this goes back to, to Philippians chapter 127, verse 27. Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So whether, whether I come and see you or an absent from you, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this unity is talking about this, this one spirit, one mind. We have locked arms and we have the right purpose. And, and, you know, that phrase in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, that standing firm in one spirit, that means to wrestle in company beside and with. And, and I was trying to think about how to illustrate wrestling together. And it reminded me of my worst moment in baseball. Okay, I was a tennis player. I didn't play baseball growing up. I mean, for a little bit, I played my, I had to rub dirt on my uniform so my mom would wash it because I sat the bench all the time. And, and so I, I played tennis. And so I didn't grow up on the, in the baseball dugout. But in 2008, here I am in the baseball dugout. And it was so fun. And I learned baseball. And, and I learned that superstition in baseball is real. Okay, it is real. 
One day, um, one, our first season, we're playing at Oklahoma State. We're in this big tournament at OSU, and, and, um, and, and we're on OSU's baseball field. It was so cool, and, and we're in the finals of this tournament playing this team from Burt Burnett, Texas, and all they said is, is, is okay, man, it was a tough game. We, I was like, why are we struggling with this pitcher? This pitcher was a, was a sinker pitcher, he, and, and he was hard for us to hit, and, and it was, the score was 5-3, to three. We were losing going into the bottom of the seventh inning. The last inning, we, it's, we're at bat. And uh, I'm sitting on this bucket, and they bring in a new pitcher, thankfully. And, and this pitcher came in, and we just were hitting everything he was throwing. It was awesome. And our, our dugout started getting excited, and they were, they were just, it was amazing. And I'm sitting on this bucket, and they said, don't move from the bucket. Don't get up. I, I'm, I need to go get a drink. No, no, don't get a drink. Stay right there. I was like, okay. So I'm sitting on the bucket going, you guys are idiots. What are you talking about? And um, I'm a tennis guy. I wasn't superstitious. And, and so, so the, the, the inning progresses, and, and now it's five to five, no outs. We have runners on the corners, first and third, if you're not a baseball person. And, and I hit Lee Tunnel on the shoulder, and I go, dude, we got this game. Yeah. He looked at me like I had three heads. And he goes, I can't believe you just said that. I go, what are you talking about? Look at that picture. He's, he's terrified. And, and, and look, we've got our two, three, and four batters coming up. These guys are our best hitters. We got this game. Uh, get up and go stand over there because you've got to wipe this vibe off. And, and I'm like, yeah, get off the bucket and go stand over there. Lee goes into the other side of the dugout. And and I'm like, okay. And so I go stand over here. I'm watching. And, and this pitcher, who is terrified, throws his first pitch, line drive to, the, to right back at him. He catches it one out. Nobody moves. The next pitch, line drive to the third baseman. He catches it standing right next to the, guy, the runner on third. He's leading off and goes, boom, he's out. Inning over, we lose six to five in the eighth inning. And all those coaches said, well, that's your fault. And I was like, how did that happen? How did, this is a stupid sport. And I'm like, how did we just lose that game? And, and so I went to the team. I was like, guys, sorry, my bad. Okay, so, so this may be a stretch, but this unity in one purpose is like that. Everybody's got to be involved, engaged. Now, this is the pep talk that Paul is giving us. And, and this, this spiritual growth perspective has to take place in our church and in our lives. We've got to come together and be, be unified together as a church. And everybody's got a role to play. Some of you may feel like, man, I'm on the bench in the dugout. No, we've all got a role to play. Chad was absolutely right. That was a test today. How many of you are called to ministry? All of us are. All of us are called to serve the Lord. And it's easy to look at me and go, Chris, you're you're a preacher. You're called to full-time ministry. No, no, my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry in our community, in our work. And it's just like the ambassadors. We tell these guys, look, God made you good at baseball. Use it for his glory. God made some of you good, and all of us are good at something. 
And God's calling us to use it and be unified and say, look, we've got a, we've got a world to share the gospel with. This is why that gospel challenge is so important. Paul goes on. Point number two is this, and I love this pep talk because I feel it. I feel this pep talk from Paul that spiritual growth helps us get our act together. And that's what I see Paul saying to the church at Philippi. Get your act together. Come on, don't make excuses. Get it together here. Look at verse three. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I, I see Paul saying, hey, stop competing with one another. Stop being selfish. Stop this, this competition together. And, 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 and we're not competing with one another. And this is why, you know, we're not competing with other churches that, that are preaching the gospel. You know, I have friends that are preaching the gospel. There was a family that came through Passion Week, and, and they'd been visiting our church. And I said, they go, I don't know if this is the place God's called us to be. I go, well, look, there's, there's several that, that are preaching the gospel that are doing great things for the kingdom. If you need help connecting there, we'll help you. Be where God wants you to be and has called you to be. But, but we got to stop competing, com, com, you know, comparison and competing. That, that, that's, that's dangerous for us. Because when we start comparing ourselves to one another, then, then there, there's some people that we'll compare ourselves with and go, you know, I'm better than that person. Then you get prideful. There's some people you compare yourself to like, man, they're way better than me. Then you get discouraged. And, and the Bible just calls us, run our race. Run the race marked out for you, the Bible says. Now, you, you see Paul pushing us. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Stop the comparison. Stop, uh, stop the arrogance. You know, sometimes we get too arrogant. We're like, oh man, I'm better than so-and-so and I'm better than that person. I'm working harder than that guy in our church or, or that guy in my work or, or my wife, she doesn't do anything and my husband doesn't do anything. And, and we, we got to stop this arrogance sometimes. We're arrogant. Now, I learned this from my father-in-law. Write this down. This is so good. You know, what, what is the key from arrogance? Key, it's pride, right? Now, write this down. I love this. This is good. The person who gets too big for his britches will eventually be exposed in the end. <laughs> right? Some of you will get that later. Um, but that's funny. That's pretty funny. Um, uh, Paul, Paul's jokes are awesome. Um, but... But sometimes we get arrogant. Romans 12, 3 talks about don't think too highly of yourself. But understand that, look, we need one another. We need the Lord. And he says, Paul goes on to write, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's this I'm third principle. That, that this idea that, that we've got to look at other people and realize that that, that we're here not for ourselves. Sometimes we come to worship and we're like, you know, I didn't like that. Or I don't like so-and-so. Or I don't like whatever. We're not here for ourselves. And, and, and churches that turn and Christians that, that think we're here for ourselves, boy, that's a dangerous spot. That's a destructive spot. That's a, an unhealthy spot. And this is why verse 4, Paul writes, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and see, 
This is the kind of church we're called to build. This is the kind of believer we're called to be. That we go to our work and, and we don't just look out for our own interests. We look for the interest of others. We don't just, um, in our families, look out for your own interests. No, we look out for the interest of others. This, like what we if you ever went to Canacuck, I learned it from folks at Canacuck years ago. The I'm third principle. I think they stole it from somebody else. But you put Christ first, others second, and yourself third. And that's the call of a believer. And see, we're, we're to see the world like Jesus sees it. Remember how Jesus sees the world? Matthew 9. Man, the, I hope that in heaven that I get to watch the video of Matthew 9. I hope they show that clip for me. Because I, I, Matthew 9, Jesus is, is with his disciples. And, and the crowd is coming to them. And, and Jesus, come here, come here, come here, guys. Look, look. The scripture says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed. And they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And, and I can see Jesus grabbing the guys. Guys, 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 you've got to see this. Look, look, they're coming. And I want you to see them. Man, that, that's the crowd that we're called to serve. That, that's the crowd that we're called to, to, to minister to and, and, to, and, to, and to share hope with. They're harassed. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then you know what he said? Guys, guys, come here. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out workers into the harvest field. That's us. Do you know that you and I are called to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus and the disciples in Matthew 9? And this is the field he's planted us in. Tulsa, Owasso, Collinsville, Skytook, Sperry. All these areas, Catoosa, Claremore. These are where we're called to serve. And so this is why we got to grow spiritually. And this is why I pray that we hear the pep talk. Our, not just our coach, but our Lord say to us, man, let's, get, let's get, to, get it together and let's see what he sees. We got, a, we got work to do and you got a job to do. I got a job to do. Let's come together and let's do it well.